So what a great way to kick off a podcast. Just watching a little bit of Bob Ross. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Bob Ross. I have to put him on mute so you don't hear the rest of what's going on in the background. But it inspired me to go ahead and kick off another podcast. I'm going to start out and talk about Denver for a little bit, and I will circle back around towards the end of the podcast about the standings, what's going on uh, in both conferences, actually. I did write that down, but I did come up with the concept for this podcast a few days ago, but I'm just now getting to it, so I'm a little late, didn't get to it by the end of the the weekend, but uh, actually, it still kind of corresponds with what I was wanting to mention about Denver uh, back when I was writing the notes, Denver was about to play the Kings or maybe they, no, they weren't playing the Kings. I was going to debate about the Kings possibly taking over a number one seed in the West, uh, against Denver, but the Kings have, I think they went to two for a little bit, but they're in third as of the standings right now. But the Kings were on, uh, a ride of momentum winning games. And I don't think they've actually lost too many since then. I think they did lose one the other night. But anyway, Denver has been losing games. I just wanted to shout out, or not shout out Denver, but state that Denver had lost, I think, two games at the time. But now it's down to four. They just lost again to the Toronto Raptors. I mean, one of those losses that they had the other day, they lost to the Spurs on the road, followed by a home loss to the Nets. Like, those two losses there were kind of mindless losses, in my opinion. But to go on and lose two more games... So you're on a on a slump, and it's a bad time of the year to be on a slump, but not the worst time. The worst time of the year to be on a slump like this would be, uh, of course, the postseason for a team like Denver. But you don't want to give up any ground in the West if you're trying to get that number one seed. But as competitive it is, as it is, maybe you do want to give up the number one seed if you're, you're playing a, a very competitive first round, which is very possible for any of the teams out there in the West, in my opinion. But... I would say that uh, Denver has the chance to, to stay at top, and I will get back to this with the standings. But the Kings, they are uh, they're able to possibly get into the second seed, and I think Denver still has somewhat of a gap over the West. It's not a, a lot of games, but it's enough to still give them a little bit of cushion, but they definitely got to turn things around. I mean, if you drop out of that number one spot that can kind of change everything as far as momentum for other teams or how other opponents view them, especially in the playoffs. And then also, speaking of which, just uh, specifically with Denver, uh, talking about Jokic, you know, it's going to drop his value as far as how voters are going to vote for him for MVP contention, especially over there in Philly. They've been on a nice little roll there. I'm not sure if they actually have a... uh, a win streak right now, but they have been winning most of their games as of late. And I'm liking what I'm seeing there as far as them uh, having a nice momentum to end the regular season compared to what Boston has been dealing with. But um, yeah, if Denver goes down to number two seed, I wouldn't be surprised if you start hearing Embiid be the front runner more so with the regular season MVP 
votes. And I think that's something that is very well possible still, even if Denver retains the number one seed. Just depends on how many more losses they sustain along the way. And also how many more wins Philly could pull off. If Philly gets to the number two seed, I, I would say that definitely gives Embiid a strong chance chance in getting the uh, MVP trophy. Now, if Denver and Philly both are two seeds, I think Embiid would definitely get the MVP trophy, in my opinion. No uh, harm done to Jokic as far as what he's been putting up for the season as a whole. I mean, the other day when they took one of those losses, he had like a 35-point triple-double. I can't remember how many boards he had. He might have almost had 20 if it wasn't 20. So uh, he, he's definitely putting on a performance. But, you know, those wins do take an effect, and voter fatigue could set in if they feel like, well, you know, this isn't what we were seeing earlier in the season when we were talking about Jokic being a three-time MVP award winner uh, three consecutive years in a row that is as well but we'll see what happens but I'm definitely keeping an eye on Denver's loss column over the next few games that's left in the season as well as uh, Philly's win column see if they can actually move up to number two seed even if Embiid is not getting the MVP trophy for that I think it just might better suit them for their playoff push this year and maybe try to give them an edge to at least make the conference finals in the East. I do like how, as of late, Philly looks like they can prove that they can come back from deficits and win against teams that earn them quality wins and also be able to protect home court. So three things that they have going on that is key to a team that wants to be successful in the playoffs and uh, try to compete for a championship. You know we have to talk about L.A. again. And when I say L.A., I don't mean the Clippers. I'm talking about the Lakers. What do you think about their improved look? I mean, they traded a bunch of uh, pieces away, but they got what seems to be more back in return, which is great for them. I think it's been uh, shown here as of late uh, in the win columns that they actually have a more serious team when you consider them as a playoff team. Definitely looking at at least getting into the play-in tournament. It's not out of the question that they could possibly be a sixth seed in the West that would get them out of the tournament and still make them a playoff team, but it's one step at a time. And what I'm seeing as of late with L.A., especially with Anthony Davis, had been a couple disappointing games. One game, okay, you let it go by because they did seal that game with a win uh, thanks to D'Angelo Russell when he returned. But then the next game, uh, you know, they lost that next game. So you can't uh, – every game matters. Every game matters. You can't really take anything – uh, for granted, even if it's an easier team or a harder team. But when AD had that win, but he didn't have a decent box score, not even a subpar box score, I don't know what you want to it was It was terrible. He put up nine points. Nine points is not going to get it done. I, I don't like that look when you have a player that's supposedly supposed to be the the face of the team when LeBron leaves. Maybe. I, I don't know if that's going to be a thing or not. But in theory, a guy who is supposed to be the next key piece to B 
being that go-to superstar of the Lakers franchise, and it almost seems like he still has to be carried by another player. And this time around with LeBron being hurt, it's D'Angelo Russell. When you're getting outplayed by somebody like that, even if it's a teammate, if you're supposed to be this dominant of a player or this great of a player, I think you should take offense to that. I don't know what happened in that game specifically. And maybe AD did take offense to that. Like I said, the next game they did lose, but he put up a little bit of better stat line. He put up 17 points and 16 rebounds. But tonight's win that they just had... And why can't I think of who they played? I do that a lot. But he put up 35 points and 17 rebounds. So something that you're wanting to see. Like, this is a quality performance. Yeah, if you're a scrub, you're going to say, wow, this is a breakout performance. But for AD, this is a standard performance. This is the AD that we saw back in December, back when he was healthy before he got injured and missed uh, a lot of time again this season. But this stat line, this is the stats that we need him to produce uh, game to game from here on even uh, if LeBron returns you could still bust out some of these games towards the end of the season as LeBron gets reacclimated and gets back up to his normal amount of minutes but in between now and then you should be putting up at least 25 and 10 every game in my opinion now granted in this game where he had 35 and 17 he didn't give us any Defensive stats, but he did hit a three-pointer. I don't know if that means anything to you, but um, he doesn't shoot as much on the outside like he did the first couple seasons when he came to L.A., which is a good thing. I mean, playing in the post, AD can dominate in the post. That's what he needs to do. And maybe they won this game. It was a road game, but he was back in New Orleans. That's who they were playing, the Pelicans, because now I remember that saying that maybe he played better because he was in his first you know hometown as an NBA player and maybe that sparked something in him but he needs to find some type of spark from game to game every game from here on for the rest of the season I mean every win definitely has a huge impact on where the seeding of not just them but the other teams that are around them in the west so it could work to your advantage twofold and it can hurt you twofold so we should look at how AD is performing the rest of the way, regardless of who else is on the court with him, uh, whether it's just him and D'Angelo Russell or LeBron's in the mix as well. It's all going to be up to AD once more to see how the Lakers play out the rest of the regular season and also to see how he keeps up his health and body for the postseason. It's one thing also to finish out the regular season and be in a decent seed, but then come up short because of injury. Again, it's uh, pretty frustrating. So I think if we see any more injuries from AD from here on, then to me that's just going to spark my opinion once more about the Lakers needing to get Kyrie Irving in the offseason, trading away I guess D'Angelo Russell would be their best bid, even though he's balling. But again, you need somebody to be the superstar there. No knock against D'Angelo Russell. He has been an all-star in the past uh, with the Brooklyn Nets when he was the go-to guy there. But AD should be the go-to guy. But right now, uh, there's times where he looks like he's better suited as a third option. So we'll see what he does and see what he brings to the table and see if LA can hold in and get a uh, playoff spot there's been some teams that have slipped down as well as some teams that have shuffled around since uh, 
a week and a half ago when I did the last podcast. So like I said, right now the Lakers are in a playoff tournament spot. We'll see if they stay there. And I will get back to that seating once again later on in the episode when I go over the whole standings of every team that's competing in the West. See, now now we got a problem. We have a problem over there in Phoenix. Y'all already know what the problem is. The problem is the Phoenix Suns do not have enough depth to win quality games against teams that are going to matter down the road. If you want to prove yourself as a title contender, you need depth. Or you need Kevin Durant healthy. Right now, they have neither. They just lost another game to the Milwaukee Bucks this time. This was a home game for Phoenix. But as you could tell, Devin Booker balled his butt off like usual. And it wasn't like it was a blowout game. But in the end, it's a win or it's a loss. And Phoenix has lost another one uh, the other day when they were playing against Dallas. I can't remember if they actually won that game. Why did I write that down? Probably because I had just watched that game or kept up with the stats for that. But yeah, Dallas is another team as well. They've shuffled around a little bit. Phoenix is still ranked higher than Dallas in the West. But um, same situation with Dallas. They have some missing pieces. It was just Luka. Now Kyrie's missed a few games. Luka's still going to be out, by the way, for the next game. So I'm not sure when he will return. It might be sometime within the next week. Kyrie, I seem like... Seems like it's more of a day-to-day thing with him. But going back to Phoenix, Kevin Durant, when it first came out about that ankle roll, not sure if you've seen that video, but it was just an ankle roll during uh, a workout on a pregame workout, just a simple layup drill that he was doing. It was a one-on-zero drill, so no defense there. It's just uh, the shoe gave in, his ankle rolled in the opposite direction, and, you know, Next thing we know, he's going to be out for about three weeks. So going off of that uh, last update that I've heard about, he's got about two more weeks left to be, I guess, reevaluated. Because I'm not sure after that two weeks period that he would actually be ready to go. But the projection would be that by the postseason that he should be good to come back on the court and be playing some games at that point. Would he be 100%? Not sure. Uh, Back-to-backs, well, it's postseason, so there's really no such thing as back-to-backs then. Uh, You you have at least one game, one day off in between your games at that point. So that is a plus, but your competitive level is intensified and is at a higher level. And the starters are usually expected to play a lot more minutes, so no load managing going on really that you can do in the postseason. So it's really not a great look for uh, Kevin at, at all. And for Phoenix, you know that you could be just a Kevin Durant away from winning the championship or not. I mean, you can ask any Golden State Warriors fans from a few years ago when Kevin Durant went down. They did, uh, you know, make it to the finals. But uh, you, when you miss somebody like Kevin Durant, of course, Clay got hurt uh, later on in that series. But um, when, when you're missing a player of that caliber and you don't have anything that could make it up even 50%, there's nothing that you could really do, but take whatever you can get and move on from it after this season. Uh, and sometimes that could be drastic, sometimes not. So in the case of Phoenix, it might not be drastic as far as them moving on from Kevin Durant. It could speak volumes of what happens with Chris Paul 
after next season if they need to redo something there. But it, it's all on the shoulders or the feet of Kevin Durant how far the Phoenix Suns will make it because, you know, Devin Booker can only do so much. Chris Paul is an aging veteran, and the role of Aiden sometimes fluctuates. I think he's been having a great regular season, but the postseason isn't here yet defensive. Uh, teams kind of switch things up, which might take him out of the game if he's not, you know, worked into the system offensively for him to be able to shoot the ball uh, away from the rim or outside of the paint. I mean, he can shoot, but that's not usually the game that they run with him. So we'll see what happens with them as well. But the main piece here is Kevin Durant in Phoenix. And then for Dallas, Luka with the thigh contusion, I believe is what it was. That's something that is basically like a bruising of your muscle there. You kind of get knee in the thigh or something. So it's not anything that's going to be hectic down the road. It just takes a little bit of time to heal. So once that bruising heals up, I would expect Luka to get back to normal uh, sooner rather than later. And then the thing with Kyrie, I think it's just a little bit of an ankle roll or something like that. And that's nothing major either. And maybe they're just kind of pacing it out where they're looking at their schedule and also looking at the health of the team going forward as far as what games they can afford to lose and when they absolutely need both of their guys to be their healthiest to finish out the regular season. So again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I see Kyrie miss another game or two while Luka's still out, but at some point they should be back by the end of the regular season and Luka should be back to nearly 100%, I, I would say, Definitely in a month's time, so come playoffs, he should be pretty much 100%, if not 95% is what I would give him, assuming that he doesn't have any more injuries outside of that. Yo, can I say this one? I, I think I could say this one. I mean, it's my podcast, right? So I could definitely say this one, but... I want to shout out to Duke. We won the ACC tournament here over the weekend, getting ready for the you know, March Madness going on here. I can't even remember where we ranked. I think I heard we were like a fifth seed. I don't even know who we're playing, first off. But I know, you know, on Instagram, got a sneakerhead community. We support each other. So a lot of sneakerheads, you know, the ones that especially wear Jordans a lot, um, a good chunk of them like UNC and UNC did they did they make the tournament? I thought I heard something about they didn't make the tournament. I'm not trying to rub it in your face, but anyway, we did beat them in the uh, regular season twice, I believe. I know we beat them at the end of the regular season, and then they just kind of didn't make it very far in the ACC tournament. But I do want to shout out to Duke. I mean, again, going to shoes. We do have a few athletes that play for Duke that has their own shoe. I would say two at this point because we did have Kyrie who had his own signature shoe with Nike. We know what happened with that. That's no longer the case. And then well, we still have Tatum. Uh, it's not technically, you know, I guess he's wearing his own shoe here now because I think he's there. He's about to release a shoe. So I'm going to count him as one. I mean, he was a Jordan brand athlete supporting uh, that line there, but then we also have Zion. He definitely has his own shoe right now. Uh, he's on this number two model. So, you know, we got the numbers to prove that 
Duke does put out you know some great players when it comes to basketball. But yeah, I normally don't talk about college on here, but I am going to shout my team when I can shout them out. And just uh, go off the pass for reference, the last time we won the ACC tournament, we did not make it as far as I thought we would in the March Madness tournament. So we'll see. We were in the Final Four last year. Uh, again, uh, that last time we, we did that and won the ACC, I think we had Zion, and we went, like, I think we went to the Elite Eight. But if you're a fan, hey, we're in it. We're going to see how far we go. If you're not a fan, you can root for somebody else. And that's just North Carolina, sorry. Oh, we made it to the standings. I'm going to go straight into the East. Then I'll follow it up with the West. So out there in the East, we got the Bucks. At the number one spot with a record as of last night, 50 and 19. Not too bad. 69, 69 games played. So we're looking at, just to sum this up uh, before I even get into all the standings, there's about 10 to 15 games left in the season. So in the matter of a month, the season will be over the regular season. But, you know, doesn't seem like a lot of games when you talk about it on paper, but that. There are some uh, there's some reasoning why you should start paying attention if you haven't with uh, the teams winning and losing for the rest of the season because of how tight the East and the West are almost all the way from like one to I think I have to write down 13. I was going to stop at like 11 or 12 and then I wind up writing down uh, all the way down to 13 for both conferences. So since the Bucks are number one, we're going to start off right behind them. Boston is number two, and they are three games behind the Bucks. So three games, that's a pretty good gap when you're considering that Milwaukee is healthy and Chris Middleton's getting more minutes in. Uh, Giannis is back. I don't think Middleton's playing back-to-backs yet. So you're getting almost a completely healthy Bucks team ready for the playoffs and you're talking about three games back, like if you win two games and they lose two, then sure, yeah, you can switch it in a matter of a week. But the odds of that happening for a team like Milwaukee outside of injury, that that's going to be tough for them to like not, you know, to lose two in a row again, or more than two in a row, I guess you could say. Boston can easily win two in a row if they play Boston basketball like we saw early in the season. So there's a chance that this could still switch up. But three games is a big gap. But there's still time to make that up. But I didn't like what Boston was doing the other week when they went on like... It might have been just a two-game slide. I don't know if it was a three-game. But um, it was just enough to where it just looked rocky for them. And it looked like they should have won some games. I know Jalen Brown missed a a game or two then. But Tatum should have stepped it up. He had one game where it just, uh, looking at the box score, it didn't look great. I don't know what happened there. It should have been a win. They could have easily picked up. Can't remember the opponent. And that just didn't happen. But it's not just a matter of Boston being able to get back to number one. It's the matter that you're number two. 
three games back behind Bucks, but you're only one game above Philly. Philly, who is in the third position there, four games back behind the Bucks. Like I said, one game behind Boston. So, you know, right now the matchup in the second round, assuming that the top seeds win, is Boston versus Philly. But if you're considering that these two teams might switch position. Philly would have the home court advantage. And like I said earlier, Philly, I like what they're doing when they're at home protecting their home court. Boston, we know, could do the same thing as well. But I feel like all of a sudden Boston's having some issues they need to work out. Where Philly has had issues that they are getting through currently that is improving their team, learning rotations now that everybody's healthy. I think they have a nice momentum going on there. And I think we're seeing uh, versions of of not just individuals, but of the team as a whole of what they can do in certain games or scenarios in the playoffs. Uh, Harden, we know, can turn it on at any time. But we do need Harden to be regular season Harden and not some of those deep playoff Harden versions we saw of him back in Houston. But um, Embiid, even if he's having an off night, he's playing MVP-level basketball once again this season. You know, he's your guy that he could get back into rhythm, get back into the game in a matter of minutes, even if it's down the stretch in the fourth quarter. We've seen him do that here as of late, too. So I like that. Uh, They've had some uh, comeback rally wins. Maybe they shouldn't have been down as much as they were, but when you come back like that and and you seal the win – you know, all the efforts are definitely worth it, and you you learn from your mistakes, but you learn it in, in the best way possible through uh, through winning. Uh, when it comes to uh, sorting through the problems on the fly, and not just having to play out the end scenario of well, if I did this, if I do that, it's all about adjusting during the game, which is a standard for playoff basketball when you're competing when you're talking about competing for a championship, it's no longer the beginning of the regular season where you do make adjustments game to game or week to week. It's, it's now to the point where it needs to be happening in a game in the middle of a quarter in the middle of, of the half, whatever the case may be, you make that adjustment and you do what you need to do to get your team to win. So I'm liking what Philly is doing and you know, three weeks from now, four weeks from now, this still could be the top three teams in the same exact position, Bucks, Boston, Philly. I have no doubt that they will remain as the top three seeds outside of injury. So I'm going to go down to the four seed in the East, and that is Cleveland. They're only seven games behind the Bucks, which puts them two, uh, three games behind Philadelphia. So not too far off. Again, it's no different than the situation from Boston to Bucks. Cleveland to Philly, is, there's three games there. But I just feel like there's something with uh, with Philly going on there that they will keep that third spot or go higher. So I think Cleveland can kind of stay where they're at because at five we have the New York Knicks. They're, they are 10 games behind the Bucks, three games behind Cleveland. So again, a, a three-game gap. Cleveland has a cushion kind of either way there. You know, to play with uh, some games if they need to do some load managing. I know um, Donovan Mitchell's been back to playing, but I believe uh, Garland's been out. I'm not sure what's going on. Nothing major. But um, if they need to do more resting or the LM word, and I'm not talking league manager, I'm talking load management that people, you know, tend to not really want to see as much, but it happens. I think they do have some games there. New York, with them being in the fifth seed, 
they are one game ahead of Brooklyn, who is 11 games behind the Bucks. So New York, they looked like they were starting to slump. They looked really well. They were playing really good basketball. Jalen Brunson got hurt. Nothing major again, but he's been out for several games. I think it's going on a week now, and it's something to do, I believe, with his ankle. And um, they hit up a Western West Coast road trip, and I'm not sure if that just finished up. But it looked like they were starting to go on the skid, and then they bounced back. They got a win against the Lakers. Then they just got another win tonight against Portland. So with that being said, I did do the standings after the game was over. They're in fifth, so they might have been in sixth, but if they were, they're back in fifth. So whatever the case is, so far the Knicks are staying out of the play-in tournament area, which is good for them to be able to do this and produce uh, wins, especially on the road, without Brunson. Man, adding Brunson this season was just like a lifesaver if you're, you're a Knicks fan. You know what I mean? Like He's just uh, not only a breath of fresh air, just uh, a good personnel to have on the team it seems like good for guidance good for keeping everybody level-headed like Julius Randle can bring the intensity and then he can also suck the intensity right out of the game if he's not playing too smart or kind of plays himself out of the game or where it's like a mental exhaustion so he has a lot of relief there with Brunson and and then the Knicks actually improving their team during the season when they added Josh Hart who um was a teammate of Brunson's back in college, but Josh Hart, I think they have him in a bench role. So it's like six man. He comes off. I mean, you got a nice bench now. You got Toppin who gets some minutes. You got Hart definitely deserves minutes and playing time in your rotation with Tom Thibodeau. Then you got Quickly who's filling in for Brunson currently. And then you got guys like um, McBride out there. I said guys like I was going to say another guy, but I don't even know. But they got a nice set of, of dudes there that uh, between the starting unit and the bench unit, their rotation is setting up to be uh, a force to be reckoned with when you're considering a seven-game series. And then, you know, keeping that core and understanding how to play with each other and what their roles are, even if somebody is missing. But bringing Brunson back, when he comes back, that's definitely going to be a welcoming sign. So I think the Knicks don't go no lower than the sixth seed, uh, in my opinion. But I think that suits them very well between five and six. Could they get to four? Possibly. But I think some things have to happen with their team and Cleveland at the same time. So I wouldn't be – I don't want to jump the gun too much and say that they will get to uh, four. But five and six seems very doable for the Knicks this season, which is awesome. You know, big turnaround from last season after last season was a, a disappointment compared to two seasons ago. Uh, when the Knicks looks like looked like they were rallying towards something, especially with uh, Julius Randle making his first All Star appearance, then but he did make an All Star appearance again this year, so this was uh, a great year for him so far. And we'll see if the Knicks could pull something off, even if it's a first round exit. You know, this is something to build off of going into the next season because there are teams out there who wish they were in that position. One of those teams being the Atlanta Hawks, and I'm about to get into that. But before them, we have Miami in the seventh seed, who are two and a half games behind Brooklyn. And this is where you begin the play-in tournament area, which is seeds seven through ten. So only two seeds go on to be the true seven and eight at the end of the regular season. So Miami needs to get up to Brooklyn. They need to catch up to Brooklyn and bump them back. But Brooklyn has been, you know, you, you would think maybe 
it, since they've added so many different pieces, it might take some uh, some time to uh, make it work as far as how your team composition is going to be. But they're definitely using Mikael Bridges as the centerpiece and the go-to guy for offense. And then, you know, he's like a two-way player. So you have him and then you have Cameron Johnson, who can almost be like a poor man's version of Mikael Bridges on the same team. And then you have Dinwiddie, who's been in Brooklyn before, and he knows how to uh, play with players who get a lot of uh, shot volume and usage uh, with the ball. So uh, you have a great point guard there that matches this system. And that's how Brooklyn's able to still be uh, a top six team in the East after getting rid of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So that, that's amazing. And not playing Ben Simmons, which, you know, people start to wonder, is he still in the league? And yes, he still is in the league. He just has um, problems. So anyway, Atlanta, they are an eighth they are 16 games behind the Bucks, which puts them two and a half games behind Miami. And this is the team I was just talking about that, you know, a few seasons ago, they looked like they could easily be a top four team going forward, especially after they added DeJounte Murray over the offseason. And that's just not the case. But they're able to move up because it wasn't that long ago where they were kind of just either, I think they were like 10th or 11th. Like they were just looking to get into the play-in tournament. So whatever they're doing must be working. I still don't think I watched one single Atlanta Hawks game. And I was so excited to watch them because of Trey and DeJounte. But um, that kind of died away. So I'm going to go over to the ninth spot. And that's Toronto. They are only one game behind Atlanta. And they just won tonight. They were the team. If you go back to the beginning of the podcast, they were the team that beat Denver tonight. And they've turned things around because it almost seemed like, you know, when you consider the trade deadline rumors, like they were willing to sell pieces off, uh, not Siakam, but it felt like it was almost everybody else besides him and Scotty Barnes. But they retain Van Vliet, they retain Gary Trent Jr. And then they, who did they add? Potal. They got Jakob Potal from San Antonio, and he has done wonders for the team, giving them a true center to work with, uh, a guy who can uh, obviously get boards. And, you know, he could play the center role, get some buckets down in the low post, but definitely helps uh, with the rebounding, which is key, and the sizing against opponents because I felt like the Raptors had, like, three guys who did the same thing, but just on different levels of intensity be- between OG and Anobi. Siakam, Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes. So now you have a true center and that's helped. And then they also just picked up Will Barton if that matters for anything. Maybe it does for playoffs, but they got him off the waivers. And, you know, again, they look to make some type of adjustment, some type of improvement to better their chances. And here they are in the player and tournament range so far. But Washington's only one game behind them in Washington. They are in 10th spot. The Wizards are healthy here as of late. So that is one key thing that has been a little bit different over the last decade or so for them. We'll see if that remains. Cause there's some few, there's still, like I said, well, an average of 13 games left to be played. And we know about Porzingis in the past. We know about Bradley Beal in the past. Uh, Kuzma might be the lone man when it's all said and done in the last week of the regular season, but we'll see. Right now, they're holding on to that spot, but right behind them is Chicago, the team I have 
almost zero hope for. I do have some hope. Zach Levine's playing very well, and we know what DeMar can do, especially if he gets in a certain mode uh, with the playoff environment. I don't know if it's a team chemistry thing. I mean, obviously they're missing a big piece. I don't want to reiterate what I said before about them missing Lonzo, but Chicago, they're almost going to stay in that spot. I think if they make the play-in, they get out of the playoffs. So either way, I don't see them as a playoff team for this season. Maybe there's something they could learn from here, uh, like who they should have traded during the regular season and move on from it in the offseason. And then behind them, in the 12th spot, you have Indiana, who is also um, – oh, no, no, they're not tied with them. They're one game behind Chicago. And I kind of thought they would try to get back up into the play-in tournament, and maybe they will. But Tyrese has missed uh, a few games here. Then they wind up sending out Miles Turner as well. So they could be playing it uh, safe for postseason. I'm not sure. Or just playing it safe for next season. Which, picking up Tyrese just last year, halfway through the season, during that trade deadline for Sabonis, I don't think there's anything to really rush here. It's not like you have that same team with Sabonis that you had the several years in the past where something needs to give. You either need to uh, make the playoffs or trade somebody away. So this is definitely a building season where, you know, if they don't make the playoffs this year, uh, hopefully they still aim for making the play-in tournament, but learn off of this and be a better team next year uh, as long as everybody stays healthy. But it's not over. You know, they could easily move up and Washington can move out because, like I said, injuries happen. And then I just go ahead and throw in the 13th seed, which is Orlando. Don't see them as a playoff team. I uh, don't see them as a play-in team as well. But just because they're only three games behind Indiana, they are not quite eliminated yet out of potentially being a playoff team. So that's why I listed them. But for them, good job being like a better team than you were last year. I mean, big big improvement comes due to the fact that they drafted the number one overall uh, pick with having uh, Paulo Bencaro, a uh, shout out to Duke once again, and he has helped the team a lot, and they've gotten some uh, good guard rotation going on there where they have like an overabundance of point guards for some odd reason that they drafted in years past. Poor Jonathan Isaac, uh, one of their forwards such a dynamic player if he's healthy I think he's been ruled out for the remainder of this season after only playing about a dozen games or something like that I man I don't know poor guy poor guy poor team for that matter because he could have been something awesome for the dynamic especially with what they have now and how they're so young and and what their team could be but I'm going to move on to the west right after this All right, we're going on to the West. My mouth is getting dry, and I think the Benadryl is starting to kick in, and that's what's happening. So I'm going to try to power through this. And when I say that, it probably won't be <laughs> under 10 minutes. And as I start getting tired, I kind of just fight myself, and I'll keep talking and talking, which is good for podcasting, but bad for me. Anyway, there I go. Denver, they're the number one seed out there in the West, as I mentioned earlier. But their record is 46-23. and 23. They are on a four-game losing streak. They need to pick things up. But they do have that slight cushion there with Memphis behind them in the number two spot. 
with them being four games back. But then you have Sacramento. They're in the third seed spot with them being five games behind Denver, only one game behind Memphis, and we know Memphis is missing Jaw. Jaw most likely won't play again this season. I'd be shocked if he did play again this season. I'd be shocked if he's ready for training camp. Um, the dude probably won't be playing until this, not this time next year, but close to it in my opinion. You know, you give him, uh, give him some time away. Anyway, the the Grizzlies do have a chance to be bumped by Sacramento. Uh, I'm not waiting for injury, but I am honestly shocked that Sabonis and Fox have been quite healthy this season going uh, this far into the season. So I hope that sustains. I've seen a lot of change this season with the quality of some of these players that normally uh, seems like they would have some type of injury that would set them back towards the end of the season, just kind of derailed the rest of the season. I mean, Sabonis for sure, and Fox can kind of be another one. Chris Paul, uh, sometimes. I mean, he's been healthy the last couple seasons there in Phoenix. Embiid, we know about him, but he's been balling this season. So, um, and he's been healthy. So that's been great. So Sacramento can keep this up. They could be a two seed, which can be scary for a team that has to play them the way they've been playing. And I haven't watched a single one of the Kings games either this season, but you know, let the record speak that they're doing great things with the dynamic that they have with the playmaking ability of Fox and also Sabonis. So something to really watch out there if you're uh, going against them because they do have depth. And that's key for playoffs as well when you can get rotations in or round-to-round rotations where if you're looking to make a deep playoff run, you go against a certain team in the first round, you might need to switch up your dynamic for the second round if you're going against a different type of team composition. So they have the ability to do that, and they're being coached by Mike Mike Brown. So Mike Brown is a a great coach. Uh, He used to coach LeBron back in the day in Cleveland. Then I think he he was on somebody's staff. I don't know if he was on Mike Malone's staff before he was a, the Kings head coach. So he's got great credentials. And the, like I said, the record speaks for itself. Going on to the fourth seed, you have Phoenix. Phoenix Suns, they are nine games behind Denver. Puts them four games behind Sacramento. I don't think they're going to leap. They're not going to leap. I mean, Kevin Durant's hurt for the next couple weeks. If you're talking about Kevin Durant maybe playing the last three to five games at max. For Phoenix, and not saying they can't win any games without Kevin Durant, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be draining. It's going to take a lot out of a player like Chris Paul that I mentioned before in the last podcast when I was considering that Durant would be healthy and how much relief he would take off Chris Paul for minutes and load managing him as he's still able to play through games but not be relied upon as heavily. And now that's kind of just shot, so you don't get that for a while. So now you have to push through and try to win games when you can uh, against tough opponents and and opponents that aren't tough, but they might be young and they might want to run you um, just to try to to outscore you in that regards. So Phoenix is in a tough spot because right behind Phoenix, you have Golden State. Even Golden State is the most bipolar team that you would see in the league this season when it comes to them like holding down home court, beating almost whoever comes onto their home court, and then literally losing to whoever they're playing on an away court. So Golden State being only one game behind, and Clay is Clay again. 
Uh, he's looking 100% as he could be at this point in his career. And Steph Curry has returned, and he's looking 100% as well. So you have this dynamic here, and they're also missing Wiggins. Like, yeah, legitimately, they can move up to the fourth seed there. And that's crazy that it's fluctuated so much that they were like in the middle towards the bottom of the play-in tournament just a few weeks ago or before the uh, All-Star break. And here they are potentially jumping up to the uh, fourth seed, which I can very well see happening. But then right behind them, you have the Clippers in the sixth spot. They are also 10 games behind the Nuggets. So I'm assuming Golden State must have the tiebreaker or something like that. I don't have the exact record here, but if they're both 10 games back, it should be pretty pretty much a tie record. And the the uh, Clippers, another one of those teams where I feel like on any given day, they could win a game. Any given day, they could lose a game. You know what I mean? Just that whole dynamic I've explained over the last several years since the podcast has been created about accountability. But that's not usually a regular season matter. It's a postseason matter. And we will get to that when we talk about the postseason. So I'll go down to number seven. So this is, once again, hitting the play-in tournament range. You have Minnesota, uh, 11 games behind Denver, one game behind the Clippers. So what's interesting here is, like, Anthony Edwards has been doing his thing since D'Angelo Russell has been traded. Rudy Gobert is getting a lot more usage here as of late. And you're still waiting for Carl Anthony Towns to return. Now, he could affect the team positively positively and negatively at the same time by either making the team better because you have more offensive presence, defensive presence. You just have more dynamic to your team. But also because we didn't get, in my opinion, enough acclimation between him and Rudy Gobert playing on the court together or rotating them in, in different uh, lineups. So I think... This puts a, a tough call on, on the coach on how to go about dealing with the team going forward once Carl Anthony returns. So ultimately, I could see them actually slipping down once Carl Anthony returns or staying the same. But if you're in the play-in tournament with the Carl Anthony Towns, I can also see them being a playoff team. So not necessarily a bad thing having Carl Anthony return. Obviously, uh, that would be better news than him not returning for the rest of of the season. So behind them in the eighth spot, you have OKC shout out to the thunder. That's my, those are my guys, you know, low key right now, because I still haven't done that podcast. I wanted to attribute uh, to them, but maybe I will before the season is over. And we, right now we are in the, the eighth spot, 12 games behind Denver, but it's been a close race. I think when I looked the other day, we were like in a, the 11th seed, just like, a day when, when Shea was out. And now we're starting to get into this territory because it is the end of the regular season. Obviously, I guess we're not tanking for Wimbayamba, which is um, surprising to me. Not that we need him, but I just thought we'd be tanking more. But I have noticed that Shea has begun to miss some games. And, you know, you have minor injuries, but he hasn't uh, missed a whole lot of games because he's been actually playing. Uh, it feels like sometimes it's every other game. I don't think he would play any more back-to-backs. Uh, if we, if we have any more, I'm sure we probably have at least one more series of that. But um, right behind them, you have Dallas, and that is a big jump from going from sixth down to ninth, like overnight. 
you know, the games that Luka and Kyrie has missed has caused the team to sink down. I think they won one game without them, if I'm not mistaken, but it's not enough. So you find yourself in the playing tournament area. And then you have the Lakers right behind them. And there are also 12 games behind Denver. So you have almost like this three-way tie race of a game-to-game basis of where OKC, Dallas, and the Lakers are going to be uh, game-to-game. Even if your team doesn't play, but the other team does play and they win or lose, that's going to change your standings. That's how tight it is. This whole play-in tournament area going all the way up actually from number four, Phoenix, down to number 10, LA, like game to game really matters. So every game counts because, you know, after a while, Phoenix can find themselves in the playing tournament if for some reason Minnesota goes on a win streak or OKC decides to do the opposite of tanking. So things could change up. I mean, LA's playing better ball. They should have won that other game the other day. That would have boosted them up to, I guess, the 8th seed, maybe the 7th seed, but they're in that range. So as long as they're sticking there, we could um, possibly see LeBron return before the end of the regular season, trying to get a couple games in, get his win back, and possibly give them an added boost to get up higher in the seeding. And then right behind the people that are in the play-in tournament, you have Utah, who has slipped since the beginning of the season when they kind of look like a wild card being up there and like, the, the middle of of the postseason seedings, I think they were like at fifth at one point. They're down to 11th, being 15 games behind Denver, which puts them about... Did I write that down? No. No, that's my writing gone bad. <laughs> that They're 13 games behind Denver, so they're actually only one game behind Los Angeles. And then uh, that also puts New Orleans at 12th, being one game behind Los Angeles. And I guess Utah has the tiebreaker with uh, New Orleans because being 13 got games behind Denver, that that's a tight race. So now I back up my statement from earlier. You're looking at four seed through the 12th seed. Literally like one games apart, if that, if even, if even. So that is insane. And then I'm going to give you the 13th seed. That's Portland. Because, you know, they got Dame and there's always opportunity to make the playoffs because that's that's what they're wanting to do as long as they have Dame. But when you slip, you slip. And they are the ones that are 15 games behind Denver. But that only puts them two games behind your closest opponent in New Orleans and Utah. And then that puts them three games back from making the play-in tournament. So again, for them, they're in a situation like the Lakers were literally days ago where it's one game at a time. You can't look at where you're wanting to be, where you're going to be. You have to look at winning each game, if possible, one game at a time. You approach each game like it's your last. That's where they're at. They're in this position because you can do everything you can to win a game and actually win a game. But as long as the teams in front of you are winning, you're not gaining anything. You also need them to lose. So don't get overwhelmed with the the big picture. Don't get overwhelmed with the, the standings of others. Just be in the moment of game to game. And maybe Portland can creep back up. But for obvious reasons, Utah, with them not having uh, really any like experienced veterans going on there for playoffs, they could definitely be the ones that stay on the outside of the play-in tournament and ultimately the playoffs 
in that regards. And then the Pelicans, they are a Zion away from being uh, literally a team that could be a six seed. So we'll see. I don't have a timetable for Zion. I didn't look it up before the podcast. But, man, if he were to return and even for the last 10 well, okay, let's say the last five games and give give you three quality wins. That could be a difference maker, depending on where they're at. But obviously, if they're they're losing every game until then, that's not going to really matter either. So there there might be an opportunity we don't see any more Zion for the rest of the season. Not that we saw much of them to begin with. So yeah, I mean, that's another debate. Since I'm up on this Benadryl, I might talk about it a little bit. You know, when when you're talking about. You know, Zion was like worth it being there, being being the pick that he was. And uh, you see his impact, even though he's not playing, that's how much of an impact he has on this team. Going from, okay, everybody shifts up. So Brandon Ingram becomes a number one option. McCollum becomes a number two, so on and so on. And then you got your, your depth guys. Like we've seen this team before in the playoffs without Zion last year and what they could do. But that's not the case. Um Every time, if you consider that other teams have gotten better, and how was, how were the Pelicans supposed to get better? Well, their younger guys were supposed to keep improving. Brandon Egan keeps improving, but you were supposed to have Zion Williamson playing and playing at a hundred percent health, and that's not the case. So ultimately, you take a, a step back, or you stay the same. But by staying the same, while others go up you do take a step back. It's a net loss for you when you consider where you're at in the standings and, and the record reflects. So it's like this catch 22 with, um, with Zion about being like the superstar that's worth it. Yes. And no, like if you can move on from them, yeah, it might be to your benefit to bring in somebody who's more stable, who's more sturdy that can give you, uh, more, more playing time, more health, but at the same time, you know what you got with this guy, and he can make that much of an impact for your team when he's healthy if you could get uh, get him rehab. So I, I don't know if it's a uh, a personal thing with him, which, you know, it could very well be if you're thinking about that. And to most regards, it, it probably is more so over 50% him. But also you have to look at the training. Sometimes some franchises have better training staff when it comes to sports medicine versus others. So I'm not sure what the case is, but if you want to know a potential scenario of where how can the Pelicans fix this if they wanted to move on for Zion, maybe you can work something out where you get a trade for Damian Lillard. It's going to have to definitely involve probably more than Zion just for salary cap purposes. But that could be something that they could look at in the future. I don't want to dwell on that too much, but that could be a what if. But for now, they just need to worry about getting Zion healthy. And if he were to return by the end of the regular season, he definitely won't be 100%. He definitely won't be able to play back-to-backs. And he definitely won't be ready for playoffs. So he would definitely need some help there and and somebody to carry the load uh, as he tries to get some win under him. But it, it ultimately will be a disadvantage either way for Pelicans. So... If you're a New Orleans fan, I'm sorry, just wait it out. And once again, try your luck next year and hope for the best. Hey, everybody. Thank you for kicking it in the second half. Kish YZ getting so close, really close to getting KD on here. Uh, not Kevin Durant, my boy, KD. Um, 
to do a podcast episode with me. We have an interesting topic to talk about. I did want to just kind of do like an introductory episode, which, you know, I might split it up if he wants to stay on there. We can get going in conversations all day long. Y'all have never experienced it or, or heard it before. So it would be a cool dynamic to uh, have him on here so you can hear his voice and, and get to see what we get into off the top of the head. But we do have some... Uh, so well, I do have something in the works as far as production, what I want to cover, and then we can get a little bit of freestyle in there. That'll be cool. Get some like raw emotion behind it, uh, especially you know when you when you consider that you can't control the responses of others all the way. So I think uh, I think I could get that happening within the next week. I'm really close, so we'll see if we get it done. Uh, Again, I'll try to get something uh, going by the weekend so I could uh, hopefully catch some games over, over the weekend starting like Thursday night and then get another podcast out here for you within the week, sometime next week. Uh, but yeah, if I can get KD, I'll definitely release that as soon as I can. Um, so it might be sooner than next week. We'll see what happens. So everybody, thanks again for kicking in the second half. Peace and love.